0: Well, good morning, Church. Good morning, Sean. That's pretty good. Okay, I'll let you. I'll let you have that one. Uh, well, welcome to uh, One Sixteen Bible Church. For those who don't know me, I'm Sean. I am the associate pastor here, and I am so happy and excited and blessed to be here with you, worshiping and serving the One True Living God. Can you hear me? Am I hearable? Not amplified, <laughs> <laughs> but I can hear. What? I guess that answers the question. Thank <laughs> you, is that better? Yes, better. Yeah. Okay. Thank you, Brother Adam. All right. Well, if you don't mind, we're going to go ahead and continue our trek through the book of First Samuel. So if you don't mind opening your copy of the Word of God or turning on your Bible app to the Word of God, and we're going to be in First Samuel chapter 10, and we're going to be picking up where Brother Jeff left off last week. in verse, uh, we'll be, we'll be in 14 through 19, uh, but we're going to add in 13 there just for, uh, just for a little context. So First Samuel chapter 10, <clears throat> beginning in verse 13. <clears throat> and if you have found it and you are able, I do ask that you would please stand in the honor of the reading of God's word. Again, that is First Samuel chapter 10, beginning in verse 13. And the word of God says, And when he had finished prophesying, he went to the high place. Then Saul's uncle said to him and his servant, Where did you go? So he said, To look for the donkeys. When we saw that they were nowhere to be found, we went to Samuel. And Saul's uncle said, Tell me, please, what Samuel said to you. So Saul said to his uncle, He told us plainly that the donkeys. Had been found, but about the matter of the kingdom he did not tell him what Samuel had said. Then Samuel called the people together to the Lord at Mizpah and said to the children of Israel, Thus says the Lord God of Israel I brought up Israel out of Egypt and delivered you from the hand of the Egyptians and from the hand of all kingdoms and from those who oppressed you. But you have today rejected your God, who himself saved you from all your adversities and your tribulations. And you have said to him, No, set a king over us. Now, therefore, present yourselves before the Lord by your tribes and by your clans. Let's pray. Father in heaven, Lord, we come before your throne, Lord, to ask for your blessing upon your people as we open and read your word Lord we have been blessed beyond belief to get to read your very words Lord that have been preserved that have been passed down that have even been translated into a language we understand Lord, may we not take this for granted, but may we instead treat it as the precious treasure that it truly is. And may your spirit light upon your people and show us Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. All right, so let's go ahead and give a little context here for where we are this morning. Um, as you are aware We're in the book of 1 Samuel Named after a guy named Samuel uh, And because uh, Samuel plays a very key part Throughout especially the first portion of this book um, We actually begin with uh, Samuel's parents praying For a child um, And then God blesses them with one And in response they turn him over to service To the Lord In the, um, in the tabernacle um, and uh, he grows up. Um, he is brought up to the position of essentially kind of a dual prophet-judge uh, position in the nation of Israel. Um, and he, uh, God uses him to lead his people, to guide his people according to his word. Uh, he even um, uses Samuel to uh, anoint the first king, uh, which we have seen already, uh, which is this character Saul. Uh, who we are introduced to and not under the greatest of circumstances uh, we meet him after he has lost his father's donkeys and he goes out looking for them in a really bizarre way that doesn't make any real sense, just kind of wanders looking for donkeys um, and uh, when when he decides, well they can't be found let's go home, the servant says hold on, let's, let's go talk to Samuel a prophet who lives in this neck of the woods let's see if he can help us out here he says, "Okay, we'll do that." So they go and find out Samuel, or find Samuel, consult him, and Samuel uh, gives them much more than uh, they were expecting, and says, "Not only have the donkeys been found, but actually, uh, hi there, future king of Israel." And sloth's like, "Whoa, whoa there, guy! <laughs> I'm here about some donkeys. Uh, that, that, that's about it. Please, please know. Um, and uh, Samuel. uh, insists that he is the one whom God has called, um, anoints him in private, and uh, sends him on his way with some signs that are very soon fulfilled. And it's actually on the tail end of the fulfillment of these signs that we come to our passage today. And the final of those signs was that Saul would run into a group of prophets coming down from the high place. And uh, not only would he witness their prophecy, but he would join in in their prophesying. And that's what he did. And it says, verse 13, where we picked up. And when he had finished prophesying, he went to the high place. Uh, This actually, as Brother Jeff pointed out last week, caused quite a stir. um, We're actually in Saul's hometown. um, So people know him. um, And people say, is Saul among the prophets? And that, I guess, kind of becomes a saying. Um, For when, I guess, when astonishing and unexpected things happen, well, is Saul among the prophets? Well, I guess so. So uh, that kind of becomes the thing. Um, And then when he had finished prophesying, uh, Saul goes up to the high place where the prophets had just descended from. And that brings us to our passage today. Mm -hmm. Then Saul's uncle said to him and his servant, Where did you go? Apparently it's been a while. People forgot what Saul was even doing missing. Um, so Saul's uncle who may have been a, a man by the name of Ner um, that's not gospel truth that's just possible speculation it's the only one of Saul's uncles that we are have any familiarity with of course it could have been if he had more than one uncle it could have been multiple but um, it possibly could have been this man Ner the father of Abner but um, and he's asking Saul, "Where did you go?" So he, so Saul says, "Well, I went to look for the donkeys." Well, and uh, the implication being, brother, it's it's been a while. You've been looking for donkeys for like a week, um, and that uh, Saul clearly has been. Say, so, so we went to look for the donkeys, and when we saw that they were nowhere to be found, we went to see Samuel. So at this point, we're saying that. Um, we're seeing a little bit of Saul's character here. We've been seeing a lot of it up to this point in this particular part of the past, or this particular part of this book but here we're seeing a little bit more of Saul's character. We're seeing that we went to search for the donkeys and when we couldn't find them we just then we decided to go to the prophet and consult the Lord um, and uh, boy isn't that just isn't that just us to describe us too often? how. When we find ourselves in anything from mildly frustrating circumstances to the overwhelmingly difficult, we tend to go search aimlessly and wander about all on our own before we get down on our knees and seek the Lord. Uh, I I confess that has been me this very week, Um, and I don't know if that's been you this very week, but I, I can say it has been me. And so that's what, that's what Saul, that's essentially what Saul is saying here. Now keep in mind, we're not, we're not talking about necessarily a one-to-one parallel, but we're talking about an illustration and an illustration that, that is showing us the, the folly of trying things in our own power before going before the Lord. And seeking his face and seeking his will and asking him for his guidance and his help and his power because we get so wrapped up in the day-to-day that we forget that we can't even do that on our own. We forget that we can't even we can't even do the the seemingly menial tasks that that are set before us each and every day. We can't do those by ourselves. But it takes the power and the spirit of God to enable us to get through even the day to day and certainly to go looking for our father's donkeys. So Saul says, when we couldn't find him, we went to go see Samuel. And Saul's uncle said, tell me please what Samuel said to you. Now there's a little bit, there's a couple of things going on here. Um, the main one I would hope, being the main one, would be that, you know, genuine concern. Like, hey, what does Samuel have to say? Because it probably affects the whole family. Um, But also, a little bit under there was probably um, if this is the uncle we think it was, this nerd character, um, he may may very well have been next in line behind Saul's own father, Kish, for the inheritance of their father, Abba. So, the, the uncle may be like, hey, what, is, what did Samuel say? It might be important for everybody, but also it might have something to do with, you know, me getting a little bit more of this inheritance from our old dad. So, like, I'd like a little bigger piece of the pie if, you know, Samuel had anything to say in regards to that. Um, so there, there's a couple of things going on here, but Saul answers his uncle and says, he told us plainly that the donkeys had it found. That's not a lie. The donkeys had indeed been found, and they had been found. They had been found. They had been taken back home. But that's not really the main thing that Samuel said to Saul, is it? No, I think. Hey, you're going to be the king of Israel. Overshadows that a little bit, right? It, that, that's a little bit bigger of a deal. Uh, your, don- your dad's donkeys have been found. You're the king of Israel. There's a little bit more weight to the second one than there is to the first one. But about that matter of the kingdom, he Saul did not tell him, his uncle what Samuel had said. <coughs> now there have been um, there have been multiple <coughs> theories suggested as to why Saul stayed silent on this matter. Um, one of the reigning theories, Uh, was that it was a symbol of Saul's humility, which may be the case. I'm not going to say it wasn't. It just may be the case. If I was a betting man, I'd say it probably had more to do with fear. Um, Just put yourself yourself in, in Saul's shoes. You are a young Israelite who has grown up hearing the the traditions and the stories of your ancestors one of those stories is about a young man named joseph whom god had revealed to in a dream that he was going to grow up to rule over his parents and his siblings and in his excitement and his eagerness and his zeal he went and told his brothers and it did not end well for him in the short term. In fact, uh, they threw him in a pit and sold him in school. Uh I, I imagine, it's, this isn't gospel truth, but I imagine maybe an echo of that was ringing in Saul's ears um, as to this: what happens when uh, somebody who has been blessed with uh, God-given authority uh, essentially reveals that openly. And unwisely, um, and maybe he was a little miscared. Now, whether or not his reasons were good doesn't diminish the fact that this is the person whom God had chosen in order to give Israel exactly what they thought they wanted, which was not as we looked, as we saw, uh, as we saw earlier in the previous chapters. They weren't looking for a king in order to help them serve the Lord better. They weren't looking for a king in order to help them obey God more fully. They weren't looking for a king in order to help them as a nation reflect his light more brightly, and more brilliantly to the surrounding nations. No, they were looking for a king so they could be like the nations around them. They weren't looking for a king according to the rules of the kingship that God himself had laid out in the Torah. They were looking for a king in order to make them fit in. They saw the kings who of the surrounding nations who, as, as we discussed earlier, who looked good in that armor, leading the charge against other nations. And that's what they wanted. They didn't care about the spiritual effects it may have on them, they were focused on fitting in and looking like the other nations. And this is the king that God gives them at first. And so I don't think what we're seeing here, in my opinion, is Saul's humility. I think we're seeing Saul's lack of qualification. I think we're seeing where Saul's character actually falls short of that, of the biblical requirements for kingship. I think that's what we're seeing. And so he stays silent about the weightier matters of what the prophet said and only reveals those things that are of minor significance. Brother and sister, let that not be said us. May we as God's people not go out into this world arguing the finer points of theology, theology openly and publicly while neglecting to proclaim boldly and clearly the gospel of Jesus Christ. May we not neglect the weightier matters, and instead focus so significantly on the things of, slightly, of less significance, because it is not the finer points of theology, it is not the, it is not the, the argument over the end times or superlapsarianism over infralapsarianism. Those are just two big words that that essentially have no importance in a minor theological battle. The point is, it is not by those things by which man must be saved. It is by the one name given under heaven by which man must be saved. That is the name of Jesus Christ. And if we are too eager to proclaim and fight for our preferred theological pet doctrines where we have we show no interest in proclaiming the gospel which saves we are ignoring the weightier matters in favor of those of less significance now it's not to say that those points, those issues, those topics don't have their place they surely do But there was a time in medieval mythology that one of the main debates was how many angels can dance on the head of a pen. Talk about a waste of time. What significance does that have to the lost, dark, and dying world out there? None. Because the answer to that question does not contain salvation. It is the name of Jesus Christ that leads, that contains salvation. Let us proclaim that. Let us focus on that and not on these other issues that we can, as brothers and sisters in Christ, can have. These are discussions we absolutely can and should have. Maybe not the angel head of the pen question. We could can, we can probably let that one die. But of the other ones, we can have those conversations. Amen. But let us not do so at the expense of the gospel. So Saul keeps his mouth closed about the most primary thing. And I think the evidence that that is uh, based in fear rather than in humility is played out much later, well, not that much later, but later on in the passage where we see him hiding among the military equipment when he's supposed to be getting um, publicly recognized as king. But I'm going to let Jeff uh, preach on that passage. That one's all yours, buddy. And that leads us to verse 17. Then Samuel called the people together to the Lord at Mizpah. Now, this, this is a very significant place, particularly at this point in Israel's history. Why? Well, in most recent history, this is the place where Samuel gathered the people of God, and God delivered them from the hand of the Philistines. We saw that in chapter 7, I believe. And prior to that... It was the place where the tribes of Israel gathered together in order to war against the tribe of Benjamin for, uh, for a transgression that had been done. Um, and that happened in the book of Judges. But this, this Mizpah, this, this high place, was particularly significant to the people of Israel, especially at this time. And it was a place of deliverance. This was a place where God had shown himself as the king and the leader of Israel. And it's the place where Samuel gathered the people here, gathered the people together to the Lord to publicly proclaim the king that they were choosing over God. And we see that uh, as we go through verse 18. uh, He gathered them together and said to the children of Israel, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, I brought up Israel out of Egypt and delivered you from the hand of the Egyptians and from the hand of all kingdoms and from those who oppressed you. So not only is he gathering them together at the sight of a recent victory that was brought about by God's leadership and by their submission to His word. On this place, uh, at this location of this victory, He's proclaimed, uh, He is reminding them of very significant histories in Israel's past. And these weren't done by the hand of a human king, these weren't done by the hand of any human leaders. This was done by God, sending his prophet to proclaim his word to his people. (coughs) And he led them out by his righteous hand. So these people are getting bombarded with reminders both visually and orally of God's leadership, God's faithfulness in their history. as they are rejecting him for a human king, for someone they can see, someone they can touch. Mm -hmm. We should not think we're above that because we're not. How often do we, let me rephrase, how often do I, and ask yourself this, How often do I neglect God's way, neglect God's leadership? Maybe for the leadership of someone else, probably for the, to follow my own sinful desires. How often do I do that? Too often. At least every day. How often do we, as a people, how, how, how eager are we to cast aside God's leadership because it doesn't give us the short-term satisfaction that we're looking for. It doesn't give us the warm and, that warm and fuzzy feeling that we're chasing. How often do we cast aside God's leadership Temporarily, or in a matter of or in a certain matter in our own lives in order to just have what we want. It's too often. We're not above this. And th- this 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 story this recounting of the people of Israel isn't to show us how far we've come. It's to show us that we still struggle with the same things that God's people have been struggling with since God had a people. This is a problem that goes back to the Garden of Eden. This isn't new. Israel didn't invent this. We don't invent it every single day. This isn't a new problem, but it isn't, ex- it isn't a problem that has been done away with either. Rather, this is an issue that plagues God's people. Why? Because the enemy wants to trip up God's people. The enemy wants to show wants to show the world watching. See, they're no different than you are. What they, if what they had was was really what they said it was, then why are they chasing after what they want? And it's even to show God's people, to cast down on our own salvation, on our own pursuit of God. To say, I don't believe this. If you believe this, why why are you why are you off chasing other things? If this was true, why wouldn't you be sold out one hundred percent, heart and soul, regardless of what the consequences are? Why are you spending so much of your life chasing other things? Because that's what the enemy does. But God, who is rich in mercy. But God, whose love cannot be outmatched. But God, whose grace is greater than not just any sin, but all sin combined. Showed his faithfulness and his love for us in this that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That is our hope because God's people at one time or another, we're all going to be faithless. Faithless in the sense of wanting what we want and chasing after it. We don't lose our salvation, but we do try to pursue our own desires, our own sinful, fallen desires. And in those moments where we are faithless, God shows himself to be all the more faithful to his people and to his promises that he's made to his people. And sometimes God gives us exactly what we think we want in order to show us just how much better he has for us. So God gives them the king. That they think they want in order to show them the king I have for you is better. The king I have for you is me. So Samuel says, Thus says the Lord God, I brought you up out of Israel, I brought Israel up out of Egypt, delivered you from the hand of the Egyptians and from the hand of all the other kingdoms since then, and all those who would oppress you, such as the Philistines who are knocking at your door right now just down this hill. But you have today rejected your God. You have today rejected your God who himself saved you from all your adversities, And your tribulations. Now that's terrifying. That is terrifying language that should break the heart of God's people. And you have said no, said a king over us. Again, why? Not so that we can be better, be better at being God's people, because that's hard. So we can be better at looking like everybody else. And then Samuel wraps it up with this: Now, therefore, present yourselves before the Lord by your tribes and by your clans. So, what's God doing? Just as he said he was going to do in the previous chapter, he says, I'm giving you what you think you want. I'm going to give you this king. I'm going to give you the guy who is head and shoulders above everybody else, who looks great in that suit of armor, who's standing at the front line, leading the charge against foreign and invading nations. I'm going to give you that guy. And the subtext is, and you're going to be begging me to take him away. But, as he mentioned previously in the law, said that when you come to me and you are begging me to remove from you the king that you yourselves have asked for, that's what's going to happen. You're going to come to me. You're going to ask me. You're going to say, Lord, we did not know what we, what we were asking for. Please take this king and remove him. But it's not just in that that God is saying, I told you so. God's never just saying, I told you so. No, but in that instead, what is he doing? He is revealing his glory and his grace to his people. And he is instead bringing them along the path of righteousness and sanctification. That's what God does, even in his giving us exactly what we ask for. He doesn't do it just so when it blows up in our faces, he can rub our nose in it and say, You asked for it. No, he does it so that even in our own, even in attaining our own sinful desires, he can show us his mercy and his grace and his love and his righteousness and his justice and his peace and his provision. Because that's who God is. That's the God that we serve. The God that we serve is faithful when we are faithless. The God that we serve even in in giving us the things we want that are not what He has for us is still giving us exactly what we need. Maybe not in the gift itself, but in the consequences that that gift brings about in our own lives, in our own hearts, bringing us along the path of righteousness and sanctification, pouring out His Spirit on His people, showing us his mercy and his grace. Because it, it is a loving father who disciplines his children. It is a hateful father who ignores his children, just lets them have what they want, do what they want, with no higher purpose at all. So rejoice. Just as Brother Ivan read to us this morning, rejoice. Shout for joy. This morning, and as you leave this place today, shout for joy at the God you serve and the salvation He has brought to you and your family. Out of the salvation, the, the bringing you out of the sin and the muck and the darkness and has given you instead righteousness and cleanliness and light. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, Lord, we have been blessed to read your word. Lord, we have been blessed to open up your very words. Lord, we have been blessed by your spirit to you guide it along the path that you have set before us as your people. Lord may we instead stop asking for things to make us exactly like the world around us may we maybe desire, that which you have for your people that which you have promised to provide for your people the blessings that you pour out on us daily Father may we not reject your leadership for the leadership of another especially not for our own sinful desires. Lord, may we instead, by your Spirit, the same Spirit who illuminates your word for your people, may your people, by your Spirit, be brought low and humbled. Lord, may we rejoice in gratitude for all that you have given us in Christ and in your word. And instead, may our desires, rather than being conformed to the world, may they be transformed by the renewing of our minds. And in Christ's name, we pray. Amen. Amen.